If you don't have an email list, then you don't have a direct line to your customers. Reaching your clients, audience, supporters, and fans with the right message at the right time in the right place becomes easy when you've got a strategic email list in place. My email list is the number one way I drive profits in my business. And major bonus here, it's a lot easier and way more fun than you might think. That's why I'm teaching a free live workshop all about growing your email list called From Zero Subscribers or Zero Strategy to an Engaged Email List That Lasts. I'll show you how to kick off your email list building strategy with no fear because I know it can be scary to start something new in your business. Save your virtual seat at growanemaillist.com. Inside of my free live workshop, you'll learn why email marketing is 10 times more effective than posting on social media, my secret to sending out weekly emails without adding a ton of work to my plate, my best tips for getting people to hit subscribe, and what to actually say to them to convert them from subscribers to paying clients and customers. Save your seat now at growanemaillist.com. That's growanemaillist.com to get started with an email list strategy that drives real results. I'll see you at the masterclass. Who is your person and where else are they in the world for you to get in front of them? So again, this word goes back to who is listening to your show. You have to know your audience inside and out and figure out where else they are in this ecosphere. Hey, my name is Jenna Kutcher, and I am obsessed with all things business, marketing, numbers, and helping you to navigate both the messy and the magical seasons of this thing called life. I'm a small town mama who took a $300 camera, grew a successful photo biz, and now I work from home and run a seven-figure online business. I teach you the tried and true secrets to building a career you adore. Shy away from the real talk? (laughs) No way. Money, hardship, growth, loss, and marketing are all topics we discuss here. Think of this as your one-stop shop for happy hour with a gal pal mixed with business school. Pull up a seat, make sure you're cozy, and get ready to be challenged and encouraged while you learn. This is the Gold Digger Podcast. When I think of the giants in the podcasting space, no matter the genre, a few names come to mind. My guest for this conversation is one of them. She is the creator and host behind some of the most successful and well-known podcasts across all genres and the founder and CEO of a podcast network that crafts chart-topping audio content in true crime, comedy, fiction, and beyond. She's a new mom, an advocate for victims, a rescue dog lover like me, and now she's adding another title to her name, author. And I'm so excited for you to hear what she says about that title. When my podcast producer Kylie saw Ashley Flowers' name come through our inbox, there was no question we had to have Ashley on the show. There are several crime junkies on my team for one thing, but even more than that, Ashley is a leader in the podcasting space. I'm so excited to talk shop with her, dig into what she's learned since that first episode of her wildly successful podcast, how the landscape of the true crime genre is changing, the secret to crafting a chart-topping show, and why she decided to take on the major task of writing a book, a work of fiction, no less. Without further ado, here is Ashley Flowers. If you love listening to the Gold Digger podcast, you'll love the full lineup of business and entrepreneurial focused podcasts on the HubSpot Podcast Network, like Marketing Made Simple, hosted by Dr. JJ Peterson. Marketing Made Simple brings you practical tips to make your marketing easy and more importantly, make it work. He's got a robust catalog of ready to binge episodes like why your videos aren't engaging customers, an amazing no-cost strategy to get more leads, and how to build your social media content calendar. 
listening to Marketing Made Simple wherever you get your podcasts. Ashley, we have this Dream 100 list for our podcast. And Mm -hmm. it is the 100 people that we really want to have come on the show someday. And so when your name dropped into the inbox, I'm pretty sure I could hear Kylie audibly shriek (laughs) all the way from Maine. (laughs) So welcome to the Gold Digger podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited that you guys had me on. Oh, I'm so pumped. And Kylie was like, I, I want to come in and sit in on this conversation. I was like, you totally can. She's like, no, no, no. It'll be better if I just get to listen to it afterwards. And Later. so Kylie's are so sweet. huge fans of you and the work Thank that you. you do. And so for those who aren't familiar with your backstory, first off, how did you find yourself in the podcasting space? Because most <laughs> podcast hosts have a very unique story of how we landed where we did. It's true. I haven't run into a ton of people who were like, yes, of course I was in broadcasting and I just found a new medium. I have like a very weird background. I, I feel like every time I get a job, I reinvent myself. So I, I studied biomedical research out of college. I did genetics research at Notre Dame, but not cool like crime genetics. I was putting spider DNA into silkworms. And then from there, I went into medical sales. And then after my medical sales job, I worked for a software development company and I did like all of their business development. And I was at that company when I started the podcast. And I started it. I kind of discovered podcasting. Actually, back when I was in medical sales, I was driving eight hours one way. My boss at the time did not believe I'm putting me in an airplane. So I was constantly in the car. I've listened to audiobooks for years and years and years. And it's actually my best friend, my co-host, Britt. She had been, I mean, she's like an OG podcaster. Like we're talking like 2011, 2012, 2013, before everyone else had been trying to get me to listen. And I laugh now because I was like, oh, that sounds terrible. No, thank yeah. you. <laughs> and of course she, so she had been hounding me, hounding me and Serial came out in 2014. And she's like, listen, like almost every episode is out. You have nothing else to listen to. I promise you give this a try and you're going to love it. And, you know, it's like she's known me for 30 years. I <laughs> loved it. So then I just fell in love with what podcasting was. It was so much more personal than an audiobook, so much more accessible. And I just started consuming everything. I mean, again, I'm, I was listening to 20, 30 hours of content in the car a week. And they're just like, I, there wasn't enough for me. So, and there was also this specific show that I kept looking for that I couldn't find. I kept waiting for someone to make. And I also had this kind of background in the volunteer work that I had done was with Crime Stoppers. I was on their board of directors. They wanted me to find a way to do some brand awareness to a younger audience. And like everything kind of just came together at the right time where I was like, you know, maybe I can make the show that I keep looking for. Maybe I'm the person that needs to make it instead of waiting for someone else. And at the same time, I can help with this nonprofit and and do what they're asking me to do. And so if you listen to like the very early episodes, there are these baked in ads for crime stoppers. <laughs> and so, and, you know, and obviously it, it blossomed and we, we've gotten to work with so many other nonprofits and causes, but that's really how it came together. It was all of these things that I loved and a true passion. I tell people all the time. I think that's why it worked is I didn't get into podcasting because it was up and coming. I didn't get to true crime because it was a hot genre. I, loved it. I had so much passion for what I was doing. It was rooted in, you know, my, my want to give back. And I think the listeners feel that. Oh, I love that. And I couldn't agree more. I think a lot of times in life, there are certain things where we're like, why has nobody created this? And a lot of times we are the last people to appoint ourselves as the person to become the creator. And so I love that story because it's such a good reminder. I'm so curious, Ashley, what was it like in your early days? Like, 
Did you abandon your career to start the podcast? Did you do it as a side hustle? What were those early days like for your podcasting journey? Yes. So it was never like a hobby for me. My intention was always to make this a business and a full-time job because I knew I can't do anything halfway. My friends always tease me, I'm a bit extra and I am with everything. So I gave myself a year and through that year, I continued to work full-time at the software development company and work on the podcast. And so I would wake up at five in the morning. I'd work for a couple hours on the podcast. I would go to work my normal, you know, eight to five. I'd come home. I would eat dinner real quick. I would work on the podcast till 10 o'clock at night. And then on Saturday and Sunday, I was putting in like 12 hours each day. So I had no life for a year. And but because I knew I had that goal. I knew like if I got to the year point and I couldn't quit my job, I had to give this up because it wasn't sustainable. But I gave it everything I had in that first year. And luckily it worked out. Oh, I think that's incredible. And honestly, I think there's something really beautiful too about starting something as a side hustle because there's not necessarily that like desire or need to monetize from day one. And I think Mm -hmm. for a lot of creative people, when money gets involved, our creativity is stifled or suddenly we are just Mm -hmm. creating another job for ourselves before we really know like, is this what I want to do? And so I think that's amazing. And I also love the end date because... I think that hustling is necessary a lot of times to get our ideas off the ground, but hustling can't be the go-to state for the rest of your life, right? Like you're going to burn out at some point. So I love that end date because I know for me, I did the same thing when I wanted to leave my corporate job. I said one year from now, if I can match my salary, I'm out. And I feel like having those end dates or those finish lines is so important. Yeah. It made it easier to like go really hard because I knew it wasn't forever. And I knew I wouldn't have to look back and be like, well, what if I did this? Or what if I just worked a little bit harder? I gave it my all and it worked. Yeah. How did you market your show and find listeners when you started? (laughs) Because a lot of people want to get into podcasting, but they're like, who would even listen to me? What did that look like for you? Well, I mean, that's a, it's actually a good question that they're asking, even if I don't know they're asking, because that's what I had to look at is who is my audience was the number one thing for me. Like marketing to market to anyone is like the worst thing you can do. You're going to waste so much time and money. And I knew that I was my target audience, you know, women like millennial women, ideally is who I was going to start with. I knew what I, you know, what I like to do, the places I like to go. And so like, literally it was like the most like grassroots effort when I started, I was working with like literally the money I had in my savings account. I got car magnets and I would drive around Indianapolis with the podcast, like giant magnets on my car was still again, traveling sometimes. And so I made these little square cards that had like a QR code to the podcast and I would leave them in airport bathrooms. Anytime I would go out, I would tape them to all the bathroom stalls in the women's bathroom. So I mean, there were some like very accessible things I did early on because I really felt like, okay, I have a show for a mass audience. If it's just women of this specific age, where are they? If I can just get in front of them and have them give me a shot, I think it'll work. And so that's how I, I grew from, you know, the hundreds to like a few thousand. And then once I was in the few thousand, I started doing cross promotions with other shows The biggest hurdle I had, you know, in 2017, 18, when I started was so many people had never even listened to podcasts at that point. And so trying to get those people was hard because you're trying to educate them on two things, right? It's come try this brand new thing and then also try mine. 
And yeah. once I was able to cross promote or advertise into podcasting, I was already over that huge hurdle. I've already got people who are bought into podcasting. Now I just have to convince them to try mine. And so once mm-hmm. I made it to that point and I could start buying ad space on other shows, cross promoting, that was huge for me. Oh, I think that's brilliant. Walk me through what it looked like because I think cross promotion is brilliant. And here's mm-hmm. why. A lot of times people operate out of this like scarcity mindset, right? Like if if you listen to someone else's, you yeah. won't listen to mine, but that couldn't be more false, especially in podcasting. Like you even said with your own journey, you're like, I couldn't consume enough. Like there yes. weren't enough shows. And so I think cross promotion is brilliant. And I think that there is this beautiful abundance in the podcasting space because people listen to true crime and then they listen to a marketing podcast and then they listen to a health yeah. one or a parenting one. And I love that about podcasting. How did you approach people about cross promotion is I think this is a great strategy for people that are newer to the podcasting space that want to get more listeners. Well, you know, for me, again, I was very targeted in the beginning. And I just went after other true crime shows because I felt like, listen, there's my show is pretty accessible. I tell people all the time, like you could come in being like a hardcore crime junkie who knows all the cases and you're going to find something new. You can come as someone who I don't know if I like true crime, but I'm going to try this out. So I really felt like in the beginning, if I could just get people who are interested in true crime, I could get them bought in. So for me, I was like, okay, I want to go after someone who has similar content in the beginning. But then of course you, there's only so many other shows, so many cross promotions you can do, so many ads you can buy. And we have started branching out to be like, okay, our our listeners aren't one dimensional. I'm a little one dimensional. I consume a lot of true crime, but you're (laughs) right. Like I look at what our listeners are looking at and they're they're into music, they're into Taylor Swift and Post Malone, and they're into comedy podcasts. And so then it becomes, again, who is your person and where else are they in the world for you to get in front of them? So again, this goes back to who is listening to your show, you have to know your audience inside and out, and figure out where else they are in this ecosphere. Yes. Okay. We're going to talk about your book in just a minute in terms of the publishing world. But I want to know, why did you decide to start your own podcast network? Because I don't know about you, but a lot of times we encounter these worlds, these industries that are so old school. Mm -hmm. And I want to know about your experience there and what that looked like. Well, I actually... Again, the same way I, I like didn't come into this being like, oh, this will be a fun hobby. It was a business. I always knew that if it was going to be a business, I was going to have more than Crime Junkie. Yeah. So I didn't know when that was going to happen. But I wanted, you know, for me, my passion was like the serial type shows, these long form investigations. And that was the stuff that I kept looking for over and over. But I wasn't a journalist. I, you know, I cannot go knock on a suspect store. Like I, I would crumble. So I did what I could do to start building the network, building a fan base. And then as I grew, as I got more resources, I was then able to add the other shows that I was really passionate about. But again, I went into this being like, it's not just one show I can't find. There's not enough. To your point, it's why I called it Crime Junkie is like, I, we're not all fighting for a time slot. Like there is so much content out there. And I still today find myself looking for like, okay, what's the next show? What, like, what's the next show? How do I find the next best thing? And I always knew that one show wasn't going to be enough, that if we could do this well, I think we could provide a lot of content to our listeners. Awesome. You know, the phrase easy as pie, right? Well, anyone who's actually made a pie from scratch, from the buttery, flaky crust to the perfectly sweet filling, knows that making pies is, in fact, very difficult. 
But you know what is easy? Integrating, automating, and scaling your business with HubSpot. The HubSpot CRM platform seamlessly transforms customer data into usable insights. Like what's the average time it takes to respond to a customer service request? And how can we get better at it? The HubSpot Service Hub brings all your data and support channels into one place so your team can spend less time hunting for information and more time delighting your customers. Plus, seamless connectivity with marketing and sales hubs means every person on your team has a crystal clear picture of your customer. It's easy as HubSpot. Learn how HubSpot can make it easier for your business to grow better at HubSpot.com. Gold diggers, we all know the B2B landscape can be a bit complex. From lengthy buying cycles to complicated decision-making processes, reaching your target audience can be tough. But I found a solution tailored just for you. LinkedIn ads. A whopping 79% of B2B content marketers say LinkedIn produces the best results for paid media. That's because with LinkedIn ads, you're not just casting a wide net and hoping for the best. You're strategically building relationships and driving real results. We're talking about a platform with over a billion members, including 180 million senior level executives and 10 million C-level executives. You are networking with the actual decision makers. And LinkedIn's targeting and measurement tools are specifically designed for B2B marketers, meaning you're not wasting time or money on irrelevant leads. In fact, in the tech industry, LinkedIn ads have been shown to generate two to five times higher return on ad spend compared to other social media platforms. Using LinkedIn ads allows you to stay ahead of the curve when it comes to industry trends and developments, whether it's finding the perfect partner for a collaboration or uncovering new opportunities for growth, LinkedIn can be your secret weapon. Make B2B marketing everything it can be and get a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash goal to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash goal. Terms and conditions apply. Okay. Walk me through the true crime genre. It is changing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are a lot of new shows popping up. It's just a really interesting scene right now. What do you see as non-negotiables for true crime creators right now? I mean, for me, it's approaching a case ethically. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's like the bare bones minimum. But I no longer think that even that's enough. It's how are you giving back? All of us creators are taking a lot from this space. We're taking these stories from families who this isn't a story. We every week are talking about the worst time in someone's life. We are reliving their pain. Often, if it's not done properly, could re-traumatize these survivors and these victims' families. And so if you are going to to take that and and make a living, and don't get me wrong, people should be able to make a living the way that you do on the news. Like you can't do anything for free. But if if we are going to do that, I, I feel like we have a responsibility the way that you just don't have if you're doing a, you know, a pop culture podcast, there's a responsibility to give back. So those are the two non-negotiables for me is, are you doing it ethically? And what are you giving back to the community that you're taking from? Mm, I think that's so powerful. It is such a delicate thing to be talking about. And I think sometimes even as listeners, you forget that the level of like humanity in these stories. 
And I had been consuming them my whole life. And yeah. I honestly got like the, the most wonderful awakening. I'm, I'm so on our first episode, I'm so happy it happened then because I was never able to get like too far into all of this and forget. The very yeah. first episode we did was on Nikki McCallan. It was a local Indiana case for me. And again, I had, I was, you know, from the middle of nowhere, Indiana, I had no following when I started this. And the day after we released our episode, her daughter reached out. And, oh. you know, I was never a, you know, a public figure. I'd never talked about these cases before. So I, I think I always assumed, you know, early on that it was a bunch of me's on the other end of the, their headphones. And yeah. it was a great reminder to me that the story that I'm telling is going to in all likelihood, be in the ears of the actual person who lived it. And I think that really set the tone for me, again, from day one. Wow. Yeah, that is like next level. Yeah. And I'm sure too, that is a beautiful experience to have early on to really set the precedent of like, wait a minute, like people actually had to live through this. This isn't mm -hmm. just a story. It's an experience. Mm -hmm. How did you expand? So I have to imagine that when you first started your show, you were researching and writing and recording and maybe even <laughs> editing. How mm -hmm. did you start to accept help? Because I think that can be one of the hardest things, especially when you start with your hand in every basket and you recognize that that's not sustainable and that you do need other people to help you create what you want to create in the way that you want to present it. It was slowly. And honestly, it was one of the biggest mistakes that I made was not growing the company fast enough. I think, you know, part of it too, I'd, I'd never been an entrepreneur. I was always afraid that it was like going to go away and to, to have somebody, you know, quit a job and come work for me and take that chance on me. It just felt like yeah. such a big responsibility. But in putting it off, I... I worked like so many more hours than I had to. I don't think that, you know, no one can do their best work when you're spread so thin. Yep. And then I got in this vicious cycle kind of where I was always behind in my hiring. I was always like the person who was coming in, like I really needed six months ago. Yeah. But it was early on too. And one of the big problems I had, right, is I, I didn't really have money to pay people. So doing it myself was something I had to do. And the first help that I really got was my brother who was staying with me for a summer as he did an internship in college and just offered to help me edit. And in my mind, I was like, okay, this is like free for right now. This, yes. this would be a huge help. <laughs> Thank you, brother. <laughs> Thank you, brother. And so he, he was like, if you need me to do one or two and like fast forward like a month, he's like doing all of our episodes. But then, you know, and then he was the first person I compensated. And yeah. it was slowly and slowly we started getting money in and I had the resources to outsource. Like I always outsourced our website. Someone else did that because I, I just knew... I knew nothing about that. And I think that's important to know what are you really good at going in, shine at those things and then find the places where you're weak and don't spend time learning it. Like things are moving so fast that I didn't want to learn how to build a website or maintain a website. I found somebody who could do that. And that let me focus on my content. <laughs> Again, even then I was still spread so thin. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. And I love like when it starts off with family, they're like, um, you are drowning. Yeah, <laughs> I am here. We'll figure it out. <laughs> I think that's incredible. Okay. Ashley, talk to me about your book, All Good mm. People Here. What inspired it? How did you start to clothe yourself with this identity of a writer? And what did that look like for you? Well, it's funny because everyone's like, oh, you're branching away from podcasting. And so many people thought that the book was going to be like just a bunch of stories from Crime Junkie. Mm -hmm. And 
I was like, no, like if I treat every medium completely different, and I think that I make the stories that I make for the medium that I'm making it, if I was going to do anything in publishing a book, like I would make something specific for that. I feel the same way if we ever venture into like video and YouTube and all of that. So when I was, you know, thinking about writing a book, you know, some people wanted a true crime story for me. Some people wanted a memoir. At the time, I was like, I'm 31. I have like nothing to share with people. Like, I don't know what you, I don't think it'd be a great memoir. But I don't feel like this is a departure. I grew up, like how I was introduced to being a crime junkie was through crime fiction. My mom would read me Nancy Drew and Agatha Christie. And to me, that's like the core of how I started. So this doesn't feel so much as a departure to me as it does like, you know, a shout out to where I came from almost. Yeah. And this, the story that we wrote, which is set in Wakarus, Indiana, it's actually where my best friend Britt grew up. And so I spent so much time there. It's a small town that we set it in. And it's about a journalist who comes home back to the small town and a young girl goes missing. And there are some eerie similarities to a case from 20 years before of a young girl named January Jacobs. And she was our journalist's neighbor growing up. The case never got solved. It always kind of like followed her, haunted her. And now that she's back in this town, she kind of decides that, you know, she's a journalist. She's going to look into it and solve these cases once and for all. But I am really proud of how it came together because I have consumed so many mystery novels. And Mm -hmm. I have made this thing so twisty, so turny. I tell people I always like wasn't a fan of the wrap up chapter in mysteries where it's like, oh, the mystery solved. Everyone's happy. (laughs) I want to read to the very last page. And one of the best compliments I got about this book was someone on Twitter got an advanced copy and they were like, I have never made it to the last page of a book and not known who the culprit was until this book. And I was like, I love that so much. Oh my gosh. I love that. I have to know writing a fiction book Was it fun naming the characters? I feel like that part would be very fun to me. (laughs) (laughs) I actually, that was like something like I had such a hard time with. I had a a co-writer on this who helped me like, because I always tell people, I was like, if it were up to me to put pen to paper, like this was my story, but it would be a 300 page run on sentence. And she, her name's Alex Keeser. She helped me a ton actually with the names. She she did most of them because I'm like a blank. I I would want to name them after real people. (laughs) I just always wondered that because I'm like, man, I mean, naming kids is hard enough, but like naming characters that are in a book, I don't know, that could either be really fun or incredibly daunting. It was daunting for me. She loved it. So we were a great pair. <laughs> oh, so what was the publishing process like for you? Because, you know, you've been this creator for so long. You've created mm-hmm. your own podcast. You've created your own network. What was the creation process like for you behind the scenes of your book? So for me, again, I had this story for years that I thought would make something great in fiction. Again, I didn't know if it was going to be like a fiction podcast, but it really felt right for a book. And so the way that like I fleshed it out and then took it to market is I found Alex first to help me make this thing a reality. Her and I storyboarded the entire thing, how we wanted the story to flow. I paid her, we wrote the first couple of chapters and then we took that out to sell And then once we had a publishing house by that, then we went back and created the rest. And we had the outline so they knew where the story was going. And it was intense. We also had to stop because we we started this in 2019, had to stop because of COVID because we were sure, you know, it was going to be a couple of weeks and any day now we can get back together. (laughs) And then we picked it back up in 2020, like very end of 2020. So it took about a year and a half 
And the, again, it was really hard for me because the editing process was, I've never had anything ripped apart so hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I think I got to one point where I was like, I don't even know why you wanted this book. Like, you don't even like it. And then um, by the end, you know, it's all done. And you just feel so, at least I did, I felt so beaten up that I'm like, the only person telling me that it's great is like my agent. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, you're paid to tell me that. I don't trust you. I got to wait till people read this. <laughs> Oh, it is wild, though, even, you know, as a podcaster, too. It's crazy, because it's like, we can have this idea and like, have it published with feedback within like a week, right? And to go into the book world, where it is like a two year long plus project. It is really interesting. And I know that you also recently had a baby. And so, you know, they say like writing a book is like birthing a baby. And we did both things at the same time. But I also (laughs) feel like there's that like gestation period of the book where sitting on it, you really do see how things are refined over time. Yes, And I really loved watching that unfold because sometimes I probably push things out too quickly. And so it was really interesting. Was that the same for you of just like this long project? I mean, the finish line is here now. And so it's kind of wild to look back on like how much change happen from where you started to where this book is going to end up in people's hands. Yeah, I'm really grateful for the time that we had to pause all of the editing that we did, because I'm like the end product is so much better than if I would have just been like, okay, let's put let's put this on paper and just get it out into the world. Hey, Gold Diggers. Lately, I've been getting excited to finish furnishing our new home, which is why I want to tell you about a brand that we absolutely love, which is Article. I have been a fan and a customer of Article for years. I'm always blown away by the curated assortment of furniture styles they offer. They have mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandinavian, and even boho designs. There is something for everyone, no matter your taste. In our last house, we had their sofa and leather chairs. At our lake house, we have their dining table and chairs. We also just ordered some of their outdoor furniture for our new patio. Like, if you can't tell, we are obsessed with Article. The quality and style are top-notch. Article's online-only model means that they can offer some great prices with fast and hassle-free delivery. Pick the delivery time that works for you, and they keep you updated every step of the way. Article's customer is also amazing. They're knowledgeable, friendly, and always there when you need them. If you're like me and you're itching to give your home a makeover, I highly recommend checking out Article. They believe in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their commitment to style, quality, and affordability, it's never been easier to transform your space. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash gold digger and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash gold digger for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. On top of my many titles as mom, entrepreneur, and creative, I've also added host. Drew and I host on Airbnb on our favorite island in Hawaii. We started hosting as a way to make some extra income, and we've had such an easy breezy experience. Now we host year after year, and it's been a fantastic side hustle. Not to brag, but we've also been crowned Airbnb Superhost several times, so we are really killing the game. It's about having spaces we can enjoy as a family while creating memorable experiences for our guests, and it helps that we earn a little extra cash on the side. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So walk me through what it has been like kind of having this extra identity added onto your plate. Did you go through a weird identity shift? Like, can you say the words I am an author yet? Because that is always a weird one. I have yet to say that out loud. (laughs) (laughs) Ashley! I know. (laughs) I've seen it in writing. (laughs) Isn't it weird? Why do we do this to ourselves? It really is. And I, you know, I'm not like... It's not necessarily imposter syndrome. Yeah. I don't know what it is for me because, again, I'm willing to try anything and hope it works out. And I'm also willing to fail if it doesn't work out. But I think think maybe that's what it is. It's like if I don't get too attached to the idea that I'm Ashley Flowers, an author, then if everything bombs, it's like, it's fine. I wasn't I didn't like that anyways. I'll just be Ashley Flowers, the podcaster. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it? I mean, it was weird because the week after my book came out, I kept telling myself like, it'll feel real when, right? So it was like, it'll feel real when the listing's on Amazon. It'll feel real when I walk into a bookstore and see it. It'll feel real when the reviews. Like, and it's like, we have this weird tendency of like pushing finish lines out. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I think I've really had time to process on is that the book process is so long and there are so many different milestones in the journey from, you know, having an agent to handing in a proposal to maybe getting a book deal and the first draft and the eighth draft and like all of these <laughs> things that like as achievers, we tend to put off like allowing it to feel real. And so I'm not grateful that you're having the same experience, but I'm glad that it's not an isolated experience because it was really odd how even in the week that my book went out into the world, it was still like, when is this going to feel real? Yeah. And I have, I've always had a tough time celebrating the wins. And it's something that I'm continually working on because I think I have such high expectations that I'm like, okay, well, that's what I expected of myself. So what's next? What's the next challenge? And I'm so focused on like running forward and, and getting the next thing that I often, very often forget to sit back and be like, man, that that thing you just did was pretty freaking cool. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm going to be like in your DMs reminding you to pause (laughs) and to celebrate it. I'm curious. So I look at books as one of two things, kind of like a brand introduction. So kind of an intro into your world and this invite to like dig into everything you've created with Crime Junkie Mm -hmm. or almost a brand pivoter, like this new invitation of like, we're going in a new direction. Do either of those feel true for all good people here and your brand? To me, I hope it's an introduction to people. I hope people, again, these people who potentially have never tried podcasts or even true crime, get introduced to my style of storytelling through the book. That's my hope. Mm. I love that. How many different working titles did you have? (laughs) This was only the second. So originally it was called, Yeah. yeah, it was called Salt of the Earth. Okay. But which I I still love that title the best. But apparently, that's not a saying in the UK. Oh, interesting. So they're like, they're like, it doesn't mean anything over there. The book probably won't sell because no one knows what salt of the earth means. So the publishing company suggested all good people here. And we mulled over it for a while. But I, I ended up like falling in love with it. How fascinating is that? My book is called How Are You Really? And one of her working titles was Close Your Eyes because it was this idea of like closing your eyes, coming home to yourself and your intuition. And I was getting my hair cut and I told my hairdresser that title and she goes, it sounds like a murder mystery. Like close your eyes. I would have picked it up and been like, like, wait, what? 
Yes. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you said that because then you like thought about it. But I'm like, thank God I didn't name it that. But it is <laughs> wild. Plus, it's like we're naming babies on top of naming books. So it's like all the, and you had to name characters in your books. And there is a lot of naming going on. Yeah. I am so curious. Did you feel like you always had like this story, your book inside of you? Or did it come after you decided like, I think I'm going to write a book? No, this is this is one that's been there for so long. Um, to the point where I'm like, oh, like if I'm ever going to write a second book, I don't even know what it would be because the second I thought about this one, I'm like, no, I know exactly what the story is. It was so easy for me to put it on paper, so easy for me to pitch it because it has just been like simmering in the background for probably the last like five years. Oh my gosh. Okay. I love that so much. And that makes it so exciting to like spill the beans on everything. Yeah. Final question for you. Crime Junkie is consistently at the top of the podcast charts. I always smile when I see your show right (laughs) up at the top. What do you see as your biggest learning moments from day one of the show to number one on the charts? If you were to kind of talk to your old self who is burning the candle on both ends, what would you say has been just something that you wish you could have known in advance? I think it's what I said earlier in that I wish I would have gotten more help sooner. I was so worried about you know, is this going to last? Am I going to have the money that, that I stopped? Like there's, you know, there's a point yeah. where it's like, I, I believed in myself and I was willing to take a risk, but only to a certain point. And it was to my detriment. So I wish I would have known, even if I didn't know how it was going to work out, I wish I would have had the faith in myself to get more help sooner. I love that. And I think that's a great reminder for everyone listening Ashley, I cannot wait to read about January and Margot and all of the webs of stories inside all good people here. Can you tell my listeners where they can learn more about you, listen to Crime Junkie and grab your book, All Good People Here? Yeah, all the stuff that you need is on my website, ashleyflowers.com. And there's actually the first two chapters of the book are available there as well right now. And page one literally hooks you in. Like if (laughs) we're talking in the world of marketing where it's like hook story sell, like Ashley nailed it out of the game. And so, I mean, there's nothing more brilliant than page one. So that's why I love that you talk about the last page too, because I mean, that's really what we need in a great book. Thank you. Have an awesome book launch. Everyone go get your hands on a copy of All Good People Here. Tune into Crime Junkie wherever you get your shows. And Ashley, I'm so excited to continue to watch your journey unfold and to see which identity you choose next. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I loved that conversation. One of my favorite parts of podcasting is getting to talk to other podcasters, someone who's on a parallel path to mine, who understands this industry. And Ashley, I mean, she's incredible. I am so excited that you got to hear about her path in creating Crime Junkie, in how she wrote her first book, All Good People Here. And I think that my number one takeaway from this episode was her advice about asking for help sooner. How many of us can relate where all of a sudden we're like, um, I need help yesterday. And so this is your reminder. If you are in pursuit of your dreams and you're feeling overwhelmed or stretched thin, ask yourself, is there an opportunity for me to seek out help here? 
Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Gold Digger Podcast. Make sure you support Ashley, her show, and her book. And if you haven't yet taken the time to leave a review or rate this show, please do so. It is the fastest and easiest way you can say thank you for creating this content. And I personally love hearing from you. Until next time, Gold Diggers, keep on digging your biggest goals. I'm over here giving you a virtual high five because you just finished another episode of the Gold Digger podcast. Did that go by way too fast for anyone else? If you want more, head over to golddiggerpodcast.com for show notes and all the discount codes from today's sponsors. And if you're looking for a new crew of movers and shakers like you to bounce ideas and ask questions, be sure to join my exclusive community for gold diggers on Facebook. The link's waiting for you at golddiggerpodcast.com. Hey, Gold Diggers. Lately, I've been getting excited to finish furnishing our new home, which is why I want to tell you about a brand that we absolutely love, which is Article. I have been a fan and a customer of Article for years. I'm always blown away by the curated assortment of furniture styles they offer. They have mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandinavian, and even boho designs. There is something for everyone, no matter your taste. In our last house, we had their sofa and leather chairs. At our lake house, we have their dining table and chairs. We also just ordered some of their outdoor furniture for our new patio. Like, if you can't tell, we are obsessed with Article. The quality and style are top-notch. Article's online-only model means that they can offer some great prices with fast and hassle-free delivery. Pick the delivery time that works for you, and they keep you updated every step of the way. Article's customer care team is also amazing. They're knowledgeable, friendly, and always there when you need them. If you're like me and you're itching to give your home a makeover, I highly recommend checking out Article. They believe in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their commitment to style, quality, and affordability, it's never been easier to transform your space. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash gold digger and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash gold digger for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more.